Welcome to the DILF Podcast, as in dad, I'd like to friend. I'm your host, Kevin Selden, and if this is your first time joining us, don't forget to subscribe and check us out on Instagram at DILF Podcast. Today, we welcome a dad of four with a PhD primarily focused on the study of fatherhood, who provides a much-needed wake-up call for both men and women on why it's so crucial that we all work together to create a more welcoming environment for fathers on the home front. Kevin, how are you? Welcome to the DILF podcast. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Very well. Thank you. Just took a week-long road trip with the family. Beautiful, but it's a very tricky thing driving with a child under two as he repeats the word turtle for 45 minutes. <laughs> I... I can understand that for sure. <laughs> so you have four children. I have four kids. Yeah. Ranging in age from 12 to five. Oh my goodness. That's a lot. That's exciting, but a lot. Yeah. So, our, our house is busy. <laughs> now, does your wife work full-time? She does not work full-time. No. So, I mean, other than a full-time job of, of being a stay-at-home mom to four kids. Very yeah. well said. <laughs> Now you tell us a little about your professional background. Sure. So I'm a professor of sociology at, at Brigham Young University in, in, in Utah. And I'm also an adjunct faculty member in health and society at McMaster University in Ontario and received my PhD in sociology from Ohio State. And I study fatherhood as well as focusing on things like paternity leave and mental health of fathers. I love that. So those are huge topics that we discuss often on this podcast. The article that I found that intrigued me, and uh, I really wanted to have you on as a guest because we discuss a lot of things in theory, and we discuss with a lot of other fathers a lot of the feelings that we're all feeling. But you actually have studied this and have data that proves that we're not just crazy, (laughs) (laughs) which is very nice. Now, in one of your articles, you said fathers repeatedly tell researchers they want to be more involved as parents, but yet public policy and social institutions often prevent them from being the dads they want to be, which hurts moms, dads, and children alike. And you wrote that article in 2017. Has anything changed in your opinion? No. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think that we've made um, much progress at all in terms of of family policy in the United States that that actually considers moms, dads, and kids, and and the needs of of everybody that's a member of a family. So there just really hasn't been any any movement policy wise to really address those things really at all. And 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 there's just there's just no traction at the federal level to consider those things. There's been some changes across states, but very, very small changes. So yeah, I mean, we're just, we're sort of in a holding pattern. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's a really good question. I mean, I think, I I think we live one in just a really highly partisan era. And so there's just not a lot of, uh, of places of agreement between the political parties in the U S to, to address those issues. Um, I think we also live in an era where, I, I guess I would say it this way. So our public policy reflects our priorities. And I think what we have decided is that our priority is on the business world, is on profits, it is on economic outcomes. And 
in a lot of ways, people think that family outcomes are the opposite of economic outcomes, and they don't recognize how those two things actually work in concert with one another to not only improve the well-being of society, but also improve the well-being of individuals within society as well and, and families as, uh, in addition. So there's been so many studies that show that the happy you are as an individual, mm-hmm. that the more productive you are as an employee. Right, exactly. And I, I think it's important to know, like, you know, we're talking about dads, but just to set the context of what we're talking about, the United States is one of three countries in the world that doesn't have guaranteed paid maternity leave. Um, not in among rich countries, in the world total, right? So we are very unique in our lack of any sort of social supports for parents. And I think that we have sort of set this up as a business friendly environment without considering how these things actually play out. Like you rightly point out, happy employees are more productive employees. Lots of people leave the workforce when they have kids. Lots of moms leave the workforce. Lots of dads leave their employers. And that actually costs employers money. So there's lots of of research that shows that actually this is a win-win situation for everyone. It's not just good for families. It's not just good for dads. It's not just good for moms. But it's also good for business as well. So I'm not sure why that message isn't getting through other than not really doing a deep dive on the numbers and just sort of looking at a very surface level argument and saying, well, if I have to pay out maternity leave or paternity leave, that's going to cost me money if that person isn't working. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that's just not that's just not accurate. It's just so small minded. I mean, it's so it's mm-hmm. thinking micro instead of macro. And I Exactly. Think Yeah. In the past, specifically with regards to paternity leave, you've discussed policy shifts needed beginning with paid leave for both moms and dads, but also work culture shifts, including discouraging fathers from taking the time that they're entitled to and pressuring men to put their careers ahead of their families. Tell us a little about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have been under a strong pressure for long amounts of time for men to be what we call ideal workers, right? The idea being that they should put their careers first before anything else. And that when we think about what dads are, the the first thing that lots of people uh, bring to mind is the idea of, of, you know, the money that they bring into the household being a breadwinner. Like if we think about the 1950s dads on TV, right? Dad would come home and mom had everything ready and right to a beautiful perfect house and all those things you know families have never really been that way um it's sort of an idealized version that doesn't doesn't really reflect reality um so i i think that that pressure has just always been there and and i don't think that employers i don't think that businesses really have ever thought it was in their best interest to ensure that dads have the opportunities to you know, be highly engaged in their family lives. And and I think once that ball gets rolling, it's very, it's a very hard ball to stop, right? It has momentum, it has historical momentum. And so making big cultural changes is sometimes really, really difficult. So speaking of that, what happened with the Cradle Act? I know that you, you saw issues with it, but if you could tell us a little more about what the Cradle Act was and where we are policy-wise with regards to paid leave. Right. Yeah, so the Cradle Act was, was proposed by Mike Lee, who's senator here in Utah, and Joni Ernst, who's a senator from Iowa. And, and, and the first thing that I will say is, you know, 
paternity leave and maternity leave have really been bedrock issues of the Democratic Party for many, many years. So I actually do find it very heartening that our you know, friends on the on the Republican side of the aisle are now seeing the importance of these kinds of policies. So I think that that is a good thing, right? I think that that means that we that everyone is sort of on the same page and agreement on on that this is something that we need to do in this country. But there are some pretty substantial disagreements about how to do it. And so Lee and Ernst, their bill um, suggested that the way that we would pay for for family leave is to borrow against our social security. So if you want to take three months of paid family leave, when you have a child or adopted child or whatever it might be, then you can take that against your social security with the idea that you pay six months more at the end of your, um, you know, working career. For both men and women. For both men and women. Correct. Yeah. So the idea here is, is, you know, you be able to borrow against future earnings, essentially. Um, And there are all kinds of problems with that idea. One being that essentially that's a loan with 100% interest. And, And so, you know, that is, a, in my mind, a problematic way to try to fund those sorts of things. There are also all kinds of problems with asking people to take money out of their retirement and then pay it back on the back end. And I'm not sure that it would do much to deal with issues of who can take leave. For example, we know middle class people are far more likely to take leave than low income people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the plus side, I, I do think it was a good faith effort. Um, Better than nothing. Right, exactly. It was a good faith effort by Republicans to to propose something that looked like family leave in the United States. So I think it's a, I think it means that we're on track to, you know, actually have negotiations between Republicans and Democrats in Congress about what this might look like in the future. But like you said, you know, with the coronavirus pandemic, um, <laughs> it's a question of if that will change. Now, my, my personal opinion on that is that I think a lot of people just became really aware of the needs that exist within their families and how dependent they are on things like childcare and schooling to actually make their lives work and function. So maybe, you know, coronavirus might actually be an impetus for individuals to, you know, go to their elected officials and sort of demand more family policy that benefits wide swaths of of Americans than maybe historically has been the case. Yeah, it seems that most organizations that were working on maternity and paternity leave have shifted focus to sick leave, and Mm -hmm. justifiably so. But they all kind of go hand in hand in many ways. Many times sick leave leaves the weight financially and um, energy-wise on the existing Mm -hmm. partner if there is one. Right, I totally, yeah. I totally agree with that, right? So, and again, this is another one where the where the United States is just a complete outlier. So, if you look at the richest countries in the world, right, the United States is the only country of the sort of the thirty richest countries in the world that doesn't have paid sick leave either. So, all of these things, I think, really play a really important part and role in both gender equity at home, right, which I think is an incredibly important part of this, but also in just ensuring that dads have access and ability to be the dads that they want to be. So moving into gender equality, mm-hmm. my question and something that's come up a bunch of times on this podcast is I'm very much in love with my wife. We're very much equals in the home. We, we do gender role swaps all the time with the type of roles we take on and just I am a very sensitive individual and 
my wife is much tougher than me. Uh, and <laughs> so, you know, just as human beings, we take on gender role shifts. But one thing that we discuss, and we also discuss often on this podcast, is how much the world is changing in the roles that women take on and how the roles are shifting and giving more space as it should be for women to step up at work and and be paid equally as they always should have. And we've discussed this many times, but as much as we are fighting for women to get more of what they have deserved all along, we don't seem to allow for men to have the freedom to shift and get more involved in the home. Right. Yeah. And I I think that's, I think that's an absolute problem because the fact of the matter is, is those things go together, right? You can't, you can't have one without the other. Um, One of the reasons why, you know, we've seen sort of the gender revolution stall, not only in the United States, but in a bunch of other Western countries is because it's now coming up against that wall that you're describing, right? Which is without also considering the importance of allowing dads to be more involved at home, there's always going to be that barrier. If employers, if schools, whoever it might be, if they don't consider the fact that dads might be the ones who stay at home with a sick kid, they might be the ones to go to parent-teacher conference during the day, they might be the room parent, then there's always going to be the issue of gender equality at work and at home. That's, I think, the critical part of the conversation that we absolutely have to have about gender equality is what, where do dads and where do men fit in gender equality? And without considering the importance of dads in the lives of their kids and the importance of dads, it's always going to be you know, an incomplete revolution. You know, I took the first year of my son's life to stay home and take an extended paternity leave. And Uh it took us five years to get pregnant. It was a long, exhausted experience. I became very depressed during it and lost a passion for a lot of the work that I do. And, and, And so for me, taking on that role, I was shocked at how many times I would go to these classes with... Uh, other parents, mostly moms, during that year and be completely ignored or go to the doctor's office. And when my wife did show up because she was able to get off work, it was like they, even though I was the main parent there most of the time, the second my wife showed up, it was like I didn't exist. And you talk Mm -hmm. about this a lot with regards to the kind of cultural shifts that, you know, the changes in media portrayals that emphasize fathers as equal co-parents, but I, but I think also just in the way society views men, and I feel like it touches on masculinity in such an interesting way. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, I think you're right. It's funny that you bring up the doctor's office because my my wife and I talk a lot about just sort of our nightmare experiences with our four kids, <laughs> especially during the time that she's been pregnant. So you know. Being a professor, I actually have a a job that allows a lot of flexibility. So unless it's classroom time, I'm pretty open in my schedule outside of my scheduled classes. So it's always been nice to be able to go to prenatal visits or whatever it might be. But I've, I've never been in a doctor's office where there's actually been a seat for me during an ultrasound. Right. And that yeah. seems like such a small thing. It's not. Um, and we've had our ki- we've had our kids in four different places. So it's across lots of different sort of cultural places and everything else. But, yeah, it's it, it seems like a small thing, but it's not because it, it's sort of it 
it's it's sending a message of exclusion. It's sending a message of it's nice that you're here, but you're not our focus. And that's not to say that OBGYNs shouldn't be hyper focused on the health of moms and kids, right? They obviously should be, but they should also recognize the importance of the family system, right? And the inclusion of dads within that system is a critical piece of it. I have a friend who she's a a social worker and has tried to convince pediatricians and OBGYNs to to include dads sort of in, in what they do. And she gets a lot of pushback. The argument they make is that's not what we do. It's so interesting. I, you know, I think that one point that you made is something we discussed uh, very much in detail in our Expect the Unexpected series, which is when we invite on dads who are pregnant to discuss their fears. And most of the time, the dads are just talking about their wives and the baby and, and making sure they're safe. But it's, it's right. hard to get a dad to drop down the walls and think about his own feelings during that time. Mm-hmm. And you've stated that engaging dads in prenatal care is potentially a powerful way to help set dads on positive parenting trajectories. And mm-hmm. I could not agree more. I think the problems start there. I'd, I'd love you to discuss that. Absolutely. Later. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, me personally, I have had just pretty bad experiences in the prenatal period. As we've had more kids, it's, it's gotten significantly better. But I, I think about our first child. So we went to, we, we sort of did all the, the sort of the normal things. Um, we were both in our thirties when we first started having, having kids. So, I mean, quote unquote later in life, I don't know if it's really later anymore, but, <laughs> but uh, maybe historically later. And so we did, you know, the childbirthing classes and went and visited the hospital that we were going to have our son at and, right. you know, all those things. And, you know, the childbirth class, I really felt like I was the helper. And this wasn't something that my wife and I were going through together. I felt like there was a lot of pressure all of a sudden to be a much better provider. Like, what's your economic plan? You know, what what are you going to do for a job? All of those things. I was in graduate school at the time when we first, we had our first. Um, or don't you worry about, you know, your employment situation, um, all of those things. And so, yeah, it was, it was a really bad experience. And, and, and what ends up happening when we have our first is, um, I go into a, just a really deep depression when he's born because the weight of all of that just came in on me at the same time and, and what ends up happening. Right. And, and not every dad goes through postpartum depression like that, but what happens is that we're wasting this really important magic moment that happens in the lives of dads. Like we just absolutely waste it. We have this opportunity to ensure that dads are really involved in the lives of their kids. And instead of using that opportunity and noting the significance of that opportunity, we, we just sort of let it flitter away. And that is a huge mistake that we are making in this country um, and it's a mistake that other countries have made um, and have recognized the significance of that. So one example of another place that has recognized the importance of that moment is Brazil. Brazil has, has historically had all kinds of problems around intimate partner violence, 
It's had all kinds of problems around dads not being involved and engaged in the lives of their kids. And what the Brazilian government did was decide that we are going to use the prenatal period where we're going to help men recognize the importance of being an involved and engaged dad and being a good partner with the mom. And what they've seen is major decline in intimate partner violence. They've seen a major decline in postpartum depression, both in moms and dads. And they've seen the moms doing better health-wise and their kids doing better health-wise as a result. So this is one of those things. This is a no-brainer. It's good for everyone. It's not just about dads. It's, it's a no-brainer for everyone. Everyone benefits from very small incremental changes. And I, I wish that we would do those sorts of things uh, much more broadly here than, than we do. You know, I'm not a big fan of social media and I push a lot on this podcast, unplugging whenever possible to spend time with family. Mm -hmm. But when I post, I try to be honest and, and vulnerable and, and create a space where other dads feel like they can be honest and vulnerable about their experiences with fatherhood. And I wrote a post a little while back about my experience going to the doctor's office. And I had one friend who we love dearly. I'm very close friends with mm -hmm. her husband. And she wrote on the Instagram post and said, well, now you know how your wife often feels. Yeah. And I was like, they're not mutually exclusive. It's not right, like, yeah. it is not right that, that my wife is treated that way as a woman, but yeah. that doesn't make it okay to then exclude the man. And I feel like that's a comment I've heard a lot. Right. I think we need to have a, a really open and honest conversation about how none of this is okay, right? Yeah. So, um, and it's okay for things, for none of it to be okay. And for us to reimagine what, what things look like. For me, this, this whole period of, of lockdown and living during a pandemic has caused a lot of anxiety. But it's also, I think, offered up uh, small glimmers of hope in that maybe it will offer us an opportunity to really reimagine or rethink a lot of the things that we just have taken for granted for a long time, right? And I think when commentators say, oh, well, you know, it's never going to go back to normal. My first reaction is, but I want it to go back to normal really, really bad because I, I know normal, but maybe normal wasn't good. And it, there are lots of things good. we can yeah, change. Feel, yeah, 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 right. And there's lots of things that we can change about the way we do things in all kinds of structures, right, to help us have a healthier society. So I hope that this might be one of them, right, that that we reimagine the way things look. Like, I didn't think that we were ever going to have a conversation in this country about how economic issues impact how families operate and create all kinds of despair. And, you know, we are talking about it. So maybe this is an opportunity to sort of reimagine those things at the same time that we sort of confront issues, right? It's a, it may, this might be a period that we reimagine and rethink what our society looks like. And I, I hope that's something that actually does come out of it and that we're not just quick to go back to the way things were because they were comfortable. Yeah. You know, there's a topic that I've discussed before, but rarely on the podcast because uh, my wife said it's too racy. But since you're a professional and a PhD, you've stated before that dads really need to, although there, there are work culture shifts and policy shifts and, and social shifts that need to occur, the main thing is that dads need to maintain responsibility in staying mm -hmm. actively involved. 
But I think there's something we don't ever discuss because it's taboo. And I think it's that women also need to speak up for the men in their lives. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's important that a woman during an, I understand that she's carrying the baby. I understand there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress, but I think there's something about your loved one being able to say, can my husband get a chair? You know, he's the father or we made this baby. I think when I've said we were pregnant, people go, you mean your wife's pregnant? And I said, no, (laughs) actually we are pregnant. And I think a lot of dads feel that way, but are scared to discuss it. And I'm curious your thoughts on it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think this is a situation where, um, where again, you know, sort of thinking about just what normalcy looks like. I, I think, you know, for a lot of moms and dads, we just sort of very comfortably fall into those roles because we don't know anything that looks anything different from it. And I do, I do believe that, you know, there needs to be levels of responsibility and that men need to be really clear and really open about what their needs are, you know, and, and what their, what their partner's needs are as well. From the perspective of just, you know, this shouldn't all fall on my partner and I shouldn't just comfortably sit back and sort of play the secondary helper role here. Right. Um, and that's, you know, if those aren't your values, then don't lay back on the, on sort of what we're most comfortable with. But on the other side, I think it's also, that's why it's incumbent upon people in positions of authority and people in positions of power to really contemplate what their sort of normal looks like and what the impact of that normal is, right? So one of the things, I I like this quite a bit, and I can't remember who said it. It was at an academic conference, but somebody said, we tie motherhood and being a woman together in ways that we don't tie fatherhood and being a man together, right? So they're not part and parcel. And I think what this person meant by that is, is that in our society, we socialize women from a very early age to prepare to be a mom, but we don't socialize boys in the same way. And if we want to see change, number one, you know, people like you and I should be socializing. Uh, you know, if we if we have boys, we should be socializing our boys in a way that prepares them to be an involved father in, yeah. you know, 15, 20, 25 years down the road. Even by just getting them comfortable with their emotions. I feel exactly. like that's great training. Yeah, exactly. But we should also, you know, in order to sort of stop that cycle, we do need schools. We do need doctors, we do need workplaces to acknowledge the importance and significance of dads to begin to break that cycle. So it's not just purely going to happen at the individual level. It's going to require people making explicit efforts within the structures that they sort of help control to to make those changes. It's going to take both of those things. And in part of that, again, is that people like you and I, we sort of say like, Hey, I'm part of this too. And, um, I want to be as supportive as I can possibly be for my partner, um, during this pregnancy, you know, can I please have a chair? (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think that sends the message and, and maybe that's a teaching moment for, for people, because I think a lot of people, we do things just completely unconsciously, right? We're just, we're just going about our lives. We sort of get into our routines 
And maybe that maybe that's an important moment for for those people as well, right? Yeah, I don't think anyone's doing it maliciously. Yeah, no, I don't no, think I don't anyone think anyone so is either, choosing yeah. to exclude. Right. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. But I do think you discuss social support, and I discuss so much on this podcast the importance of a support network, yeah. so we don't feel so alone as fathers, and we don't really have the resources that moms have. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how you feel socially. Mm-hmm. We can handle this this energy that fathers so often feel unwanted and, and are treated suspiciously in public yeah. parenting spaces you've stated before. And I could not agree more. Yeah, man, that is such a challenge. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, this is a real, I think really important, um, really important issue that we have to, to think about a lot more and confront. I think one of the biggest issues that we have is, and you sort of alluded to it earlier when you're talking about masculinity, but is we have the issue of men being socialized early on to not talk about emotions, to not, not talk about their anxieties and challenges and all those other things. And so we often lack social support because we don't really know how to seek it out and we don't really know how to provide it to other people. And so I think a really important source of social support are other dads right? And sort of creating that space where dads are working together to provide support for one another. Yeah, And that support, I think, would also open up those parenting spaces in really important ways, right? It's really hard to be the only dad who shows up as a room parent, you know, at the elementary school. But if there were a group of dads who did it, it might sort of change the ways in which we think about how people are interacting right within within schools or whatever it might be. So I think one, we have to be sources of our own social support to really sort of open up those, those spaces more. And um, that means that we have to sort of acknowledge that, you know, we have feelings, we have anxieties, we have challenges and, and being open and honest about those things with, with one another and the experiences that we're having around parenting work, whatever it might be. See, I couldn't agree more with that, but I simultaneously feel, and one of the goals of this podcast from the get-go was, I don't feel that men, not just dads, that men are allowed the space Mm -hmm. to have feelings in our modern society. And there's this shift where women are allowed to wear many hats and are supported in that. But I feel that we still don't allow men to wear the multitude of hats. You know, there was an article that you commented on and it was so fascinating. I wish I could remember which one it was, but it discussed how in the sixties, a dad was hanging out with his son and a mom was talking to the dad and he was just gushing about his kid. And at the end of the talk, the woman who he was talking to in the park responded by saying, I certainly hope you find some more work soon. You seem to have too much free time on your hands. Right. <laughs> Do you remember this right. article? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, it's sort of interesting because if you ask the female partners of stay at home dads, you actually do get sort of this, a little bit of a negative feedback. Like I, I, you know, I don't know why he's sort of doing this, you know, he could be working though, you know, so there isn't, it's, it is not exclusively something that, that happens just from the male side of things. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really important is one of the reasons why I think women and moms have a lot more freedom or or, or perceived freedom is because, you know, those things that are masculinized are considered positive and those things that are considered feminine are considered negative. So 
for women, it's much easier um, to sort of socially go into masculine worlds. And that's not to say that it's not easy, but this is a comparison, right? right. So, uh, so it's not, um, it's much easier to go from, go into a masculine world than it is to go from a masculine world into a feminine world. Because the idea is, is that if you're going from the feminine to the masculine, you're going from the lower level to the higher level, as opposed to a, a man who's going from a masculine world into a feminized world, right? So and we see this in all sorts of places. So think about uh, men that go into nursing, right? Nursing is considered a feminized profession, uh, even though I think we're seeing in the midst of this pandemic just the sheer significance of, of the nursing profession. Yeah. But, but it's still considered a, a sort of a feminized profession, right? And, and men who become nurses face all kinds of, of issues as a result of that. So it's this, you know, what do we value in society? Well, we, we don't tend to value those things that, that are considered feminine things. And we should, we should value those things in really important ways, right? In my mind, there is nothing more critical, nothing more important in the entire world than raising uh, children, right? That mm-hmm. is the most critical job that exists. And it's such a critical job that we should all value it. And it's, it's almost silly when we, we sort of say it that way, that we expect certain people like moms to value it more than dads, right? Why aren't we both equally valuing the importance of, of nurturing kids, you know, raising them to, to be, you know, well-rounded individuals, worrying about their health and well-being and, and helping them, you know, develop um, into adults, um, I, I don't know the answer to that other than, you know, that's just sort of the cultural norms that we have in our society, but they're also ones in my view that just need to be, you know, washed away and reconsidered. Well, I, I couldn't agree more with that point. It seems to me that policy and cultural shifts will take time, but mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping us from social changes between our relationship with our own partners and those around us. I mean, just the fact that so many people still use the term man up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and like so many, so many people talk about feelings being a feminine mm-hmm. thing or disacknowledging that, that paternal postpartum even exists. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the more that we can allow space for that in this modern society, the more we can allow room for dads to kind of step in in a larger way and not only own their feelings and be involved, but not feel shame in wanting right. to be involved. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think like, you know, like we said from the start, dads do want to be more involved. Like the data shows us that um, we know that dads experience more conflict between work and family now than even moms do. So there's all these measures out there, all this data that suggests that dads really want to be more involved, but there are these issues, these structures, the, the way that we socialize kids, the way that we talk about emotion, all of these things create um, a lot of barriers that exist um, within, within our society. And, and they're ones that, you know, hopefully through conversations like this, and, you know, policy advocacy and all other kinds of things that will slowly make those changes in ways that, that get dads more involved. But at the same time, you know, when I was a kid, um, dads weren't super involved or super engaged in the way that they are now. Yeah. And, you know, over 
35, 40 years, uh, we've seen just monumental shifts in the ways that dads are engaged at home. And so a lot of change can happen in a relatively short amount of time. And I hope that one of the things that comes out of this pandemic is that dads recognize the power that they have um, in their families as they've been forced to work from home, or maybe they've been, become unemployed or whatever it might be, that they recognize just how beneficial they are to their kids and to their partners. I love that. Any uh, final dad truth that you'd like to leave us with today on a personal note? I think one of the things that has really been beneficial, to, we've talked about it quite a bit, was just finding a voice, right? And, and I have it sort of through academic research. And I know that that's a pretty rare thing, but we all can find our voice somewhere in a way that can make things better, not only for yourself as a dad, not only for your partner, not only for your kids, but also for dads that come down the line after you. Whether it's advocacy at the school or advocacy at the doctor's office or whatever it might look like, just using your voice in a way that is kind and respectful and is a, provides a teaching moment, I think is a really powerful thing that we can do to sort of help make these important cultural shifts in ways that are beneficial for everyone within our society. I love that. And I think it also supports the concept of true masculinity, where, where men are getting in touch with their feelings first and then vocalizing their feelings to others in order to simultaneously break the stereotypes that mm -hmm. men don't have feelings and men right, don't have, exactly. you know, can't get hurt by situations like this. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. I love having the research and and the, the PhD behind a lot of the theories that <laughs> so many of us are feeling right now. And uh, hopefully you'll come back and we'll talk more on other topics. I would love to. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to share it. And don't forget to do something. What is it that I wanted you to do? Take a moment and write a review. Until next time.